passive income without the property headache? It's possible. There's a way to invest passively in real estate and get monthly income without any tenants, maintenance, or property management. The wealthy have been doing this for years, and if you're an accredited or high net worth investor, you too can collect cash flow without the headaches that come from owning rentals. How? By investing in a private real estate fund with PPR Capital Management. PPR's co-founder, Dave Van Horn, wrote the book on real estate note investing for BP. But he's not just investing in notes. Dave and his team also have an extensive background in commercial real estate. And with PPR Capital Management, they're strategically investing in both notes and commercial real estate nationwide. With over half a billion dollars in assets under management, PPR has provided individuals with a steady source of truly passive income since 2007 without ever missing a payment. Check them out at investwithppr.com. Again, if you're looking to get monthly passive income from an experienced team with a strong track record, go to investwithppr.com today. You might think you want real estate, but that's not true. What you really want is passive income. With new investors struggling to find deals or get enough money to buy them and veteran landlords tired of the constant tenant phone calls, is there a better alternative? Actually, there is. Short notes from Connect Invest. Connect Invest is an online investing platform that allows you to easily participate in passive real estate investing, and all you need is $500 to start. Short Notes collectively funds a diversified portfolio of commercial and residential real estate projects across acquisition, construction, and development phases. You'll earn a fixed monthly income without the hassle of owning or managing real estate. Head to connectinvest.com BP to create your account. Fund your digital wallet with at least $500. Select from 6, 12, and 24-month short notes with annualized return rates up to 9%. Then sit back and let your monthly returns roll in. Join today by visiting connectinvest.com VP. Connectinvest.com VP. This show is sponsored by Airbnb. Did you know that I turned one of my first homes into an Airbnb? It's true. And it even helped me get the extra income I needed to launch my real estate career. So if you want to try your hand at making even more income with your property, Airbnb is the place to be. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. This is the Bigger Pockets Podcast, show 279. People work with people that they like to work with. So if you want to make the most simplest thing is be likable. And that doesn't mean you have to turn yourself into Oprah and give away free cars and all this stuff. <laughs> just, you get just, a car. Just, <laughs> yeah. You're listening to Bigger Pockets Radio, simplifying real estate for investors large and small. If you're here looking to learn about real estate investing without all the hype, you're in the right place. Stay tuned and be sure to join the millions of others who have benefited from BiggerPockets.com. Your home for real estate investing online. What is going on, everyone? This is your host today, Brandon Turner, here with my lovely co-host, Mr. <laughs> David. Throw me a line green. Is that what we said earlier? I don't know. <laughs> Throw me a rope. Throw me a <laughs> rope green. Anyway, how you doing? I'm good, man. I'm actually doing really good. My refinance is days away. I'm about to get some more money and Woo-hoo. business is doing really good with my real estate agent business. It's springtime and this is when everybody wants to buy and sell their houses. And we have an incredible podcast, one of the funniest and best ones that I think we've done in a very long time with a random six at the end that I think will have a lot of people laughing. Yeah, we do. Yeah. So listen past the music at the end of today's show. Uh, you guys will like it. So, but before we get there, let's get to today's quick, quick. 
So today's quick tip is a little negotiation quick tip for you. So I'm in the middle of a negotiation on a deal right now, uh, one of the more expensive ones I've done. And I'm negotiating back and forth, lost the deal a few times, got it back, lost it, got it back, went back and forth a few times. But here's what I've learned, I guess, in this process. And I've known this, but it like became so clear to me. The person who wants it the most always loses. So like I had to like, it like I... I just kept losing in negotiations and I felt really stupid all the time until like, I was like, you know what? I don't want, I don't want, I don't need the deal. Whatever. There's another one. And I like my wife and I were like, we're done. Let's just, let's just not do it. And all of a sudden then like this power shifted to us and like, I felt it. Uh, and all of a sudden, like I can kind of get what I want. So anyway, in negotiations, oftentimes he who wants it most or she who wants it most loses. So, uh, try to reposition in your head how bad you really want to deal and make sure you're not getting too emotionally involved with it. And, you know, it's just a numbers game. And you might find that you actually end up getting something. And I think I might get it. We'll see. Anyway, I think so too, man. I got my fingers crossed for you. Thanks. So now without further ado, we're going to jump right into today's interview because it's so good. It is so powerful. It's all about uh, investing in large deals. But even if you don't care about doing big multifamily deals like our guest today, Andrew Cushman does, you guys need to listen to the show. We talk about a lot of things that apply to everybody, no matter if you're looking for your first deal, second deal, fifth deal, or a 500-unit apartment complex. This stuff applies across the board, talking about how to deal with finding deals, how to get people to do things for you, how to overcome the struggles of contractors and property managers and all of that and rehabs. We cover everything. So you guys are going to love this show. Andrew Cushman has been on the show before back in number 170, and he brought gold back then, and he brings even more today. So you guys are going to love it. Without further ado, let's hear from today's guest, Mr. Andrew Cushman. Mr. Andrew Cushman, welcome back to the Bigger Pockets podcast. It is so good to have you here. It's awesome to be here. I see you uh, upgrade your host uh, to a more handsome guy trying to boost the YouTube ratings, huh? <laughs> we are trying to boost the YouTube ratings. Yeah, this is a... Uh, I don't even know where to go from there, but uh, David is a handsome fella. I will, I will agree with you there. I won't tell Josh you said that, but let's go into your story, what you've been doing. Maybe actually before we go to your, what you've been doing the last couple of years, let's go to your, like who you are for those people who didn't listen back on episode. What were you on before? One something. 170. 170. So those who didn't listen, like, what is that? Three years ago, two years ago. Who are you? How'd you get into real estate? Ah, Andrew Cushman used to be a chemical engineer, but since I was a little kid, I knew I wanted to be an entrepreneur. I just didn't know what that meant. So I became a chemical engineer. So I'd have a decent job in the, in the meantime, got married. And then for you know, about seven years or so, my wife and I tried various, uh, businesses that, you know, made a little money, but didn't, didn't seem like they were going to set us free. And then, uh, we discovered real estate and uh, trying to flip houses. And so we said, all right, this is something we can do. And what we picked was trying to buy free foreclosure. So people that were about to lose their house, but hadn't lost it yet. And what that meant is that involved making cold calls to people in you know financial trouble, which isn't the best. You know, People usually aren't happy to, to pick up the phone and have a stranger and be like, hey, let's talk about your financial difficulties, right? And, and as a chemical engineer, I wasn't exactly good on the phone. So it took me 4,576 phone calls to oh, get yeah. my first deal. And I that remember was you with saying the, that. That's crazy. Yeah. That was with the help of a, of a paid coach and my wife coaching me, right? She'd be listening to the calls and she'd be like, and I'd hang up. She'd be like, um, okay, honey, that was good. But next time you might want to try to say it this way, right? And then, so anyway, so it took me a while. I wasn't good at it. It wasn't a natural skill, but we got our first deal sold it. I made as much as I did at my job all year. And I walked in and said, I'm out of here. 
And uh, I mean, I was nicer to him than that. I mean, we, I gave him some time, but I, we, you know, I quit my job. She quit two years later. We flipped houses full time for like four and a half years through the through the crash, which was a great time to be doing it. And then uh, 2010, we said, okay, all these people got to live somewhere. They can't buy a house. The economy's going to rebound. What's going to benefit from that? And we said, well, apartments. So hired a mentor, went and did our first deal was 92 units in Georgia and went full-time multifamily. And since then, I guess it's been six years almost. And we've done uh, just 1,800 units. Wow. Well, all right. So we're... We're, we're going to unpack all that. Uh, I want to I want to kind of start from where we ended last time we talked to you. I mean, like you were doing some multifamily, you'd bought some stuff, you were having some success. But now everyone knows the market is way too competitive today to find deals. So my guess is you've been sitting around on a beach just drinking margaritas for the last three years. Is that right? Yeah, exactly. That That's pretty much it. All right. Good. Good show. All right, guys. So this was the episode. Okay. <laughs> All right. So what have you been Today up to with since Andrew last Cush, talk? How to make deals? the perfect margarita. Yeah. <laughs> you know, hey, and mojitos. Don't forget the mojitos. Oh, yes. Okay. So what have you been doing? Uh, we've been buying more apartments. You know, it's it's not uh, it's not easy. Uh, but, you know, everyone's heard before, if, if it was easy, then everyone would be doing it. And, you know, in this market, you know, in 2010 or 11, you could almost kind of go out and buy almost anything. And if you held it a few years, you were going to work out okay. Deals were pretty easy. The funding was tough. Now funding is easy and deals are tough. So you have to go out and make your own deals. And that's what we've been doing. Ooh, let's, let's dig on that. What do you mean by you have to go out and make your own deals? Cause that's something both David and I say all the time, but I want to know what, what do you mean by that? What I mean is the odds of you going out and finding a apartment complex that you can buy 30% off of its current market value is exceptionally, exceptionally low. So what you have to do is find something where you can go in and buy it and take advantage of overlooked opportunities. And what I mean by overlooked opportunities is, you know, for a, we bought one a year and a half ago where it was self-managed from out of state and the manager had just had no, I mean, she, she had good intentions, but she had no idea what she was doing. I mean, everything you can do wrong, she was doing wrong. So we had a huge management opportunity. And then also that property was a, like a C plus property. And in that, it's a small market. There were only four other properties in that entire market. All four of them were A. So you had a C property with rent here and A properties with rents way up here and nothing in the middle. So that to us showed that there was a huge opportunity to you know, to spend some money improving that property and move it up to a B and we should have zero comp- competition. So that's those are two, you know, we're very clear opportunities to create our own value. And that's you have to look for that now. The market won't carry you forward from this point. Yeah, I love that. Can you can you explain what you mean when you say A, B, C, D neighborhood for those who don't know? Yeah, A or especially A plus is the, you know, built in the last five or 10 years. It's the shiny stuff downtown, high rises on the water. You're going to pay 2,500, 3,000 a month for it. B is more of your kind of your, your, your working class, solid jobs, people that maybe could buy a house, but just choose not to, you know, it's got pool, it's got a fitness center, it's a clean property, but you know, maybe it's 20 years old or 30 years old. C that's properties that maybe were built in the 70s or 80s or even 60s, lower in, more lower to moderate income people who probably can't get a house. You know, they're, they're, they're renters for life, not necessarily by choice. And then D is uh, if you go, you better be packing heat. <laughs> All right. Good. Good. And there is no F, right? Generally not. I mean, some, some people, we, we joke about it occasionally, but yeah, D and any, anything below C, just stay away from. All right. 
So Andrew, I know one of the things I love about you is that you just, you have so many details and specifics to share with people. Like what you just mentioned, that's really, really good advice. The fact that these ones likely have a fitness center, it makes it easier to kind of organize everything in my mind when I'm looking at a property to kind of figure out what, what I'm looking at basically. Can you tell us some of the things that you and your team look for specifically when you're looking for like overlooked opportunities that you mentioned? What are some of the red flags that stick out and you go, Ooh, I want to dig in deeper. That's a really good sign. Self-managed is a great one. When you go from self-managed, well, and I shouldn't say that because I don't want to discount there. There are some professional operators out there that that manage their own property. So when I say self-managed, I mean someone that maybe owns one property or two and they think they can save money by by managing it themselves. That rarely works. And, and we especially love it when it's self-managed from far away. That just doesn't happen or doesn't work well. So that's an opportunity. Another opportunity we look for is deferred maintenance, meaning maybe the property hasn't been kept up well, it needs to be painted. Uh, I love seeing bad landscaping because that is, you know, aesthetics is huge. I mean, that's people's first impression and it's something we can easily fix. You just hire a landscaper and say, here's 50 grand and, you know, do all this. I love seeing bad landscaping. Basically think of, you know, an opportunity as far as the physical asset is something that you can go in and with a contractor and proper funds, fix it right? And increase your rents. So, you know, if you buy, if you're buying a property that has bad plumbing, that's not really an opportunity because it's going to cost you a ton of money to fix and your residents aren't going to pay you more because you put in new plumbing, right? So we're, that's the kind of stuff you're looking for. Can I add shutters to these windows just to make the place look prettier? Can I put yeah. in vinyl flooring instead of this white ECT stuff left over from the seventies? That's the kind of opportunities I'm looking for. You know, what I love about that is that what you're describing is very similar to what single family investors look for. Yep. What we're basically looking for is like small cosmetic things. When you go driving for dollars, you're looking for an overgrown yard. You're looking for moss growing on the roof because that's a sign that whoever owns it is not paying attention to it. Right. Yep. And wherever yep. you find that neglect, that's where you find opportunity. So what you're describing is these are what I look for. These are very small signs that are easy to fix, but they're indicative of the fact that the owner is not paying attention and is less likely to be savvy, right? They may sell it for less. They may, uh, they may be more motivated to get rid of it. They may not even know what they have. And I can go in there and buy this deal and then turn it into a great deal. That's really, really good. Listening to this podcast, you should go back and you should write some of these things down because if you can find these small little signs, it'll save you a lot of time. You're not going to have to analyze a hundred deals. You find out of your hundred, the 10 that have these signs and those are what you dig in first. So I think those are some great, like overlooked opportunities. That's a really good thing. Maybe we need to trademark that as the Andrew Cushman seal, <laughs> seal of success. I'm, can, I'm all for you, trademarks. Yeah. Yes. Can you tell us what kind of neighborhoods you're looking to buy in? Like when you, when you get a deal that comes your way when you're analyzing, okay, this is an opportunity here. I think that there's, there's something, there's some meat on the bone. How do you know what the demographics are that you're looking for? What the numbers are you looking for in that specific neighborhood? Okay. Well, the short version is, is our ideal property is a C plus in a B neighborhood, but you want, I can go over the specifics of exactly what we screen for. Yeah, that'd be awesome. Let me do that. Yeah, okay, please. cool. So first of all, the, the first thing I'm looking for when, when I get a broker calls me or emails me or whatever, we're looking for something that is a hundred units or better, 1980 or newer in my geographic area. And I mean, for me, that's the Southeast United States. So for someone else that might be Texas or whatever, and we don't want flat roofs. We absolutely will not buy a property with a chiller system. We don't do mixed use. Wait, we don't a, do high rises. What's a chiller system? A chiller system, they're most common in Texas. And what that is, is 
back in the 70s, they decided uh, with the technology, I guess maybe it was true, but they decided the most efficient way to do air conditioning was to create this giant cooling tower with the ammonia system, make cold water, and they pumped that cold water underground to every unit in the property. And then blow air, and then that's the air conditioning, which is efficient, except you can only have cooling or heating. And, and if the system goes down and it's August in Texas and it's 100 degrees, every single tenant has no air conditioning. Uh, I will not buy one of those properties. All right. uh, and, the, and then for the mixed use and high rise, it's not that those are bad, bad opportunities or bad deals. It's that we want to be really good at one thing, and that's garden style single or two-story apartment complexes. So Listen, I'm not saying those are bad things. I'm just saying when when we're when you're looking at deals, pick your niche, focus on it and be be better than anyone else at that niche. Don't get distracted by too many other opportunities. I love that. I think every single person should hit that like rewind 30 seconds and listen to that again a couple of times. Like, cause that applies to everybody, right? Like whether you're just starting your first deal or like how many newbies do we know that like we meet at a real estate club or whatever and they're like, so I really want to flip houses and I, I'm thinking wholesaling might be a good idea too. And I love rental properties. and I want to buy some multifamily too. And I'll get in apartments and it's like, yeah, you can get in all that, but like pick one niche to start with. And no matter where you're at, like just say, Hey, I'm going to do this and I'm going to be the best in my market at that one thing, like that one yeah. task. And it doesn't mean everything else is bad. Whenever I talk about how I bought a mobile home park last year, people are like, wait, wait, are mobile home parks the best investment? I'm like, no, they're, they're just one investment that I decided to say, Hey, this is what I'm going to be good at. Pick something and go after it. Anyway, I love that you define that like garden style apartments in the Southeast. Or, uh, Southeast. Yeah, that's, yeah. yeah, Southeast. Yep, you're absolutely right. So, so I mean, that's something, uh, you know, I can, if I've got, you know, 10, 10 apartments in my inbox in the morning, I can go through and that's just instant, right? Oh, 19, uh, 1964. Nope. You know, flat roof. Nope, nope, nope. So let's say I've got three properties that fit those criteria. Well, then it's like, okay, now what? So we've created a procedure that um, we actually, our office manager does this now. And this is something that you know, and a new investor could do themselves. They could have a VA do it. They could have an assistant do it. It's, you know, once you get it set, it's very repeatable. So the first thing we do is we want to buy in an area where the median income is 35,000 or greater. And the reason for that is we want our improved rents to be affordable. So generally we're buying something where maybe the rent is 600 bucks a month and, or 700. And by the time we get done with it, it's going to be eight, 900 or a thousand, right? So if you take a thousand dollar a month rent, Take that over 12 months, that's 12,000 a year, right? Generally speaking, if someone is paying a third of their income to cover rent or less, that's affordable. So 12,000 times three is 36,000. So that's where that 35 came from. And basically what we're saying is we want to make sure that at least half of the population will find our new renovated apartments to be very affordable. So we will always have a good renter pool. That's that's and it's absolutely critical. The further you go below 35, the tougher you're going to have getting tough, tougher time you're going to have getting residents and the residents you do get are generally going to create more headaches. The further down you go, the higher up the headache factor tends to go. So that's great. Kind of that is so logical. It's like beautiful. I mean, it's just so simple as that, how you look at that. You just took all of this, like, I don't know, what should the medium income be? Where should I invest? What should they be making? It's like, just turn it into numbers. If this yep. is what your rent is, this is how much they should be making. And I would imagine if the rent dropped, like how much they were bringing in, let's say they, it was only 700 a month on a thousand. Well, then the median income could drop, but you're saying, well, then your headache factor is going to go up. Right. Yes. And if the, if the rent goes up, well, then the median income has to go up and your headache factor is going to drop. But 
it's going to be harder to find people to rent it most likely, right? Or the people yeah. that live there are only going to be buying maybe A or B properties, not the C that you're looking for. It's just, it makes so much sense what you're saying and converting this into like a logical decision-making process that removes all the, the fear out of it. I mean, Brandon, would you agree that that's usually what holds most people back from getting started with investing is they're just afraid of, they don't know how to think or how to put things together? Yeah, definitely. People are like, uh, there's just so much information out there and this guru said this and this guy said this and this person, yeah. Uh, yeah, I like the logic. So I like that Andrew's sharing not only what their numbers are, but where the logic is behind it so that we can kind of apply that to our own deals. And this is something else that I think makes a ton of sense because I didn't mention this, but Andrew is probably in the entire world of investors I know, the smartest, most respected <laughs> one that I know. In the, like I say rock stars, no rock stars. Andrew's one of the rock stars and I'm like just the guy in the back that plays my drum and like he's the guy that, you know, put, wrote the music basically. He's so smart and so good with this and I learned so much from him. And he invests primarily in multifamily and I, I invest primarily in single family but the principles of what we're doing are the same regardless because it's all real estate. So he's taken like information that he and I share back and forth about what we're doing. And then we just learn to apply it to the niche that we're in. It's all the same principles and logic, but it has a different application. And that is why it's so important that you learn your niche and you study it and you get good at it. It doesn't mean that like it, that listening to the guy that does like Brandon buying a mobile home park, the same principles that work in that will work in multifamily. You just apply them in a different way. That's what makes real estate so cool that the, th the three of us that invest in different kinds of properties can all benefit from talking to each other. And I could probably go on and on about that forever. But <laughs> tell us a little bit more, Andrew, about um, in the recent, like right now, in the last year or two, the kind of deals you've been looking for, where you're finding them, what you're focusing in on, like what's kind of like your blueprint for how you're running your business right now? Yeah, but what we're doing now is you want to finish going through that the, the, the screen criteria first? Do you want me to can I yeah, jump over I, to that? I'd like to. Okay, it, it can be it can be pretty quick. So, and just also be the for the median income where we're getting that is city datacom and richblockspoorblocks.com. Um, oh, the other thing one. we look, yeah, it's fifty bucks, but it's good. We like to compare the two and make sure because sometimes the data is skewed. Also, we, we want to make sure that the and, and the David that this actually this is getting into your question. This is how we're figuring out where we're going, what we're doing. We want the poverty level to be. Um, we want less than fifteen percent of the population to be under the poverty level. We want to make sure we are not buying in a flood zone. We just go to the FEMA FEMA website, pull up the flood zone maps, find our property, make sure we're not in a flood zone. We also want to check and make sure that we're in a low crime area. So the easiest way to do that, go to Google Maps, grab the little yellow man, drag him, drop him in the neighborhood and see if he gets robbed. Right. If he doesn't get robbed, you're good. No, we um, we go to. <laughs> We, we, we just go to we just go to Trulia and they have heat maps. Right. And they was red and orange. And now they change it to blue, which I don't know how that makes sense. But maybe, you know, dark blue is high crime. Maybe that means there's more cops there. I don't know. But <laughs> so we if it's anything less than low crime, we're just not going to do it. And again, and that's a, this is a screening procedure. If you're buying a property, you don't rely on Trulia. You go visit the police department and you talk to them. This is the screening. So yep. I should you know, make that clear. Now, and get David, back to one of your other questions about opportunities. If we pull up a property on Trulia and just the property itself is dark blue and everything around it's green, that's an opportunity because you can bring a property up to the neighborhood, but you just, you can't bring a neighborhood up, right? So that means if we fix the property, then there's an opportunity there. The other thing we look for, and this is real important, it's just from USA.com and there's tons of other sites too, but is we want to look, we look at the population growth. You know, if you've got negative population growth, stay the heck away. 
Well, generally, we want to see population growth that exceeds the national average. So over the last 10 years, the national average was like 9.7%. If that town that we're in is growing faster than that, that's generally a good sign. So most of the towns we're investing in are growing at you know 25 to, in some cases, 100% population growth in a 10-year period. And, if, and so if we have a property that checks off all of those boxes, now I know we've got a good market, we've got a property with opportunity, and we're going to go analyze that deal. So Andrew, at this point, how much of the work you're talking about are you doing? Because um, all this is like screening stuff that technically like an assistant could just do check off. Like, are you doing this or do you have somebody doing this for you? No, our office manager does 100% of that. Nice. Nice. And that's just like, because otherwise you just get bogged down in this stuff. And that's something that can apply to real estate, like people doing smaller deals as well. Like I, I don't look at every deal that comes up in my market. I don't have to even filter through them. Cause for example, when my agent knows to not send me stuff that doesn't match my criteria, he only sends me, for example, multifamily properties in this area because I'm only buying multifamily in this area. So to like set up systems in your life where you don't get bogged down with data. That'd just be my advice to everybody is like find ways to like get either other people or automation or tools or whatever to get like quickly filter through those things. So you don't have to spend all your time just filtering. You should be sitting there looking, okay, this one meets all the basic criteria. Now I'm going to dive in deeper. Do you agree? Oh, absolutely. In fact, I have a draft email set up with all of my criteria. So that anytime I talk to a new broker and I can copy and paste that and say, yeah, here's my criteria. And because and usually that comes up, they're like, oh, what, you, what are you looking for? I'm like, oh, I'll, you know, I'll talk about it with them on the phone. And they'll say, hey, I'll send you an email. So you have it in your system. Exactly what we're looking for. It saves them time, saves me time. Love it. I think that the most important thing that anyone can take out of this is that it is not your agent or your broker's job to know your criteria and send you stuff that will work. It is your job to communicate to them what you're looking for and why and train them how they can help you. The people that are successful, they do a good job of this. Like I know Andrew is very, very good at communicating with rock star agents and brokers and explaining. And we're going to talk about more like how he does this and what he's done to build up his reputation. But part of it is this is what I want. This is why I want it. This is what to bring me. If you bring it to me and it makes sense, I will buy it. So everyone knows that they're incentivized to work with Andrew. He doesn't just get upset and say, oh, this is crap. Why'd you send me this? It's the wrong (laughs) color on the heat map, right? Get out of my life, you, you swine. You're not worthy of me. But I see so many newbies do it the other way, right? They, they go to the agents and they're like, yeah, there's no good deals. They're not sending me good deals. They're sending me stuff that's blah, blah, blah. But they didn't communicate the, what a good deal means to them, right? Yeah. All of us have different criteria for some. There's some people that want something turnkey. They want it to be great and just be a 1% property. As long as it cash flows a little bit, they're happy. There's other people like me who want a lot more meat on the bone and we're a lot pickier about the stuff we get into, but we know how to make it into a deal when it doesn't look like a deal. You've got to learn what your criteria are and communicate that to other people effectively and then screen the people you're working with to make sure that that's someone who's qualified to get it to you. Andrew's done this for so long that he's got this like, you guys watch Game of Thrones. You know, they talk about like the little birdies, the little network of spies that are out there that bring all the information (laughs) back, right? He's got like those people everywhere that are like out there looking for deals for him, finding the ones that meet his criteria and bringing them there. So he's not spending eight hours a day filtering through crud that is never going to work and burning himself out. And that's just one of the reasons I love to talk to Andrew because he could spit out little tricks like this all day long. I'm looking for this. I'm looking for this. I'm looking for that. He knows just what he's looking for because he values his time and he doesn't waste it on the wrong stuff. So, I mean, I just think this is... This is awesome. Can you give us a recent story or a story of one of your most recent deals? Like how it came across your path, what the process was like as you analyzed it, why you liked it and then why you bought it and then what you did with it. Yeah. You know what? We talked about Whiskey Creek, the one uh, that was like 18 months ago. Did I give specifics on that when we talked? I think we, we oh, talked about that earlier. I don't think no? so. Okay, perfect. No, that sounds perfect. 
Okay. So we, we bought this deal 18 months ago. It's uh, outside of Augusta, Georgia, 96 unit property. And it was built in late 80s, early 90s, which is that's the ideal time frame for, for what we're looking for. It was self-managed by somebody from the Midwest. And this thing is out in Georgia. The manager just kind of out there, you know, flying by the seat of her pants, uh, taking cash payments. Uh, every time something needed to be fixed, well, just go get what's on sale at Home Depot or on Craigslist. So nothing matched anywhere. And because of that, the rents were, were pretty low. It was full. It was stable, but the rents were nowhere near where they could be. And they hadn't been putting money back into it. So how many units? Was uh, this? How? 96. Oh, wow. Yeah. And, you know, it's funny. We talk about relationships and everything. It, it's funny we use this as an example. This one was actually different. You're not going to guess where I found this deal. The, the, the trash bin. It, the what? The trash bin of multifamily. It was on LoopNet. Oh, wow. So, but, here, <laughs> here, but here's why. And this is why you, you especially in this market, you have to be you have to be like, you know, like, like a preschooler out of urinal on your toes all the time. Right. So you're looking everywhere you can. And so what happened is, is the owner didn't trust brokers. And so he he listed it for sale by owner on LoopNet. So those criteria that we went over earlier, I have that set up on LoopNet. So if something hits LoopNet and sends it to me. Number one, I'll see it. The real reason is because I'm like, hey, that typically what's going to be is that broker is listing something I like. So I want to go talk to that broker if I don't know him. That's the real reason I use LoopNet. But I saw this thing was listed by owner. I'm like, holy cow. So called the guy. Built, we built up a good rapport within from the time I first called him to being under contract was five days. And wow. so we bought it for $4.05 million. And it was 96 units. We put, uh, this was 18 months ago, we put 950000 into it. And based on the current net operating income today, 18 months later, we're about to do a refinance. We're expecting it to appraise for $8 million. That sounds incredible. Can you go over with us a little bit about what you mean by net operating income and some of the metrics that you're using to know this was a good deal? Net operating income is, it's, Take all take take your actual revenue and subtract your operating expenses. And operating expenses is just what it sounds like. It's just the the cost you incur paying the manager, uh, paying the water bill, um, evicting people. You know, just the the day to day operating expenses of a property. It does not include putting on a new roof. That's a capital expense. And so when we're looking at a property like this one, and when we bought it, we said, okay, the, the net operating income is down here. I think it was like. I don't know, 20,000 or something like that. And we say, okay, if we put this much money into it, bring in professional management and then raise the rents and keep expenses about the same, all of that rent increase increases the net operating income. Because there's two ways to improve net operating income, increase your revenue and decrease your expenses, right? And so in the last 18 months, on average, across all floor plans, we've increased the rent 41%. So our top top line revenue went up 41%. Our expenses stayed about the same. Wow. And so now our net operating income is more than double what it was when we bought it. The market has stayed the same, but because apartments are valued based on the net operating income and we doubled the net operating income, all of a sudden our property is also now worth double. And we did put a million dollars into it. So the physical assets nicer and all of that. But that's how we do that. And that's, that's how anyone can do that and and not bank on the market carrying you. You can you know you, you you can buy in a hot market and still do really well if you find a way to create your own value. 
So one of the things that I always tell people is you need to understand how properties are valued because single family properties are valued differently than multifamily properties. When you buy a single family property, like the banks are assuming that you're buying it to live in. Even if it's up to four units, they just assume you're buying it to live in. So how do they know how much it's worth? Well, it depends on what other people would pay for the same property. So they use comparable properties to determine the value. Multifamily property, they're assuming that you're buying this as a business. And so they value it like it's a business. The NOI is kind of like, what's my cash flow or what's my profit before I, I put a mortgage into it. So because we know, or Andrew understands, they look at it differently. He knows that the way he adds value to his property is not just to rehab it for the sake of rehabbing it, to make it look like all the other multifamily properties around. It's to increase the NOI or increase the profitability of it because that's how they value it. So when I'm buying single family homes, what I end up doing is looking for houses that are trash that I can buy and fix it up and make it look like the nice house down the street because then it's worth more. Andrew's doing the same thing, but not from a cosmetic perspective. He's doing it from a business perspective. How can I go in there and improve the profitability of this so that it will be worth more? But see, when Andrew does it right, it's like millions of dollars in equity. When I do it right, it's maybe tens of thousands of dollars if I do a good deal. Right? That's what's so cool about you're in multifamily. I just love how you break it down and it's very, very simple. Like It sounds to me like one of the ways that you saw this as an overlooked opportunity is because you saw that the NOI was abnormally low. Is that right? Yes, that and the, the the key thing that we saw, um, there's two two key things. Well, okay, three. <laughs> Number one, when we look when we looked into this town, we saw a seriously a hundred percent population growth in ten years, right? And then once when eventually we, when we looked into what was driving that, and we realized it was going to continue. We're like, wow, this is a good place to be. There was a moratorium on new apartment construction, so there's not going to be any more competition. And there's only, like I said, there's only four other A properties. And so what we do is when we're evaluating the potential to increase revenue, generally the best way to do that is to increase rent, right? So what we do is we create a scatter chart of rent of our property and all the other properties. And all that is, is we get all the the data from each property in that area. We put it in Excel and it just, we put it so each little dot represents the square footage of, of the floor plan and the rent that that property is charging. And then we look at where our property sits and then we tell Excel to draw a median, so a trend line. And then what we do is we say, okay, our property is so far below that trend line. If we can just get it up to the median, that's a $200 a month increase. Holy cow, there's a ton of upside to this. That's the primary way that we analyze how much potential there is to increase rent and therefore increase your net operating income. Yeah, that's awesome. And if, if people want to know, like, there's a book I read a long time ago. I'm sure you've probably read it, Andrew, and I don't know if you have, David. It's uh, The ABCs of Real Estate Investing by Ken McElroy. This, like, whole concept made a lot of sense when I read that book. Like, it's really, like, if this is, like, blowing your mind, you're like, I don't get it. What is NOI? You're still confused about all this that he's saying. Go pick up that book. You can read it in, like, an afternoon. In fact, that was the book that I read on a Saturday. And on Sunday, uh, I told some couple I was going to go buy. I wanted to buy apartment complexes. And they were like, oh, we have one we want to sell. Like, that was the book that, like, love- yeah, that was, like, the perfect. Anyway, if you're at all confused about how this whole thing, the valuation, NOI, increasing this, decreasing that works, uh, it's a fantastic book I'd recommend checking out. Uh, we actually had Ken McElroy on the show back years ago now. Uh, but if you want to find that, just go to Bigger Pockets and in the search bar. Just type in. Ken McElroy, M-C-E-L-R-O-Y. And you'll find that. Yeah, super cool. So I love that deal. I love that like you didn't pay like absurd too much or you didn't like rob the guy of the deal when you bought it. You just bought a good deal. Like you just bought a a solid property for what it was worth. You made it Mm -hmm. better because you found something undervalued or like at least like uh, improvable. And then you made it worth more and just rinse and repeat, right? I mean, that's what you've been doing all ever since. 
Yeah, that's that's basically that's basically been our our business model the whole time. Yep. Yeah, I love that. Um, maybe can you walk us through like uh, some of the struggles that you go through, like in trying to build these apartment complexes? What are you struggling with? Uh, you mean in terms of what we currently struggle with yeah, now, like, or just as far as a maybe a new investor or I would say you or, personally, like over the past like three years, two years since we last talked to you, like what have you had a problem with? Like every, you know, like it's oftentimes the reason why I ask this because a lot of times on the show, like we hear like everything's so awesome for investors all the time, but I kind of want to like, is everything always awesome or do you get stressed out about anything? Is there anything that you've learned that's like, Oh, that was a lesson. I guess now I know that. Just, just listen to the theme song from the Lego movie. Everything is awesome. Always, <laughs> all the time. Right. No, a lot of that. Uh, we, we could do a whole, we could do a whole podcast on challenges and, and problems. Uh, you know, we've already talked about how hard it is to find deals. That is, that's probably, that's the number one challenge right now. Another big challenge is good contractors. And it's not that kind con- you know, we rag on, we kind of tend to rag on contractors a lot. You know, they're, it's not that they're bad people. It's just number one, there's not a lot of them left after the recession. A lot of those guys went to different industries. Yeah. And so they, they have more work than they can do. And they, you know, they're pulled in all these different directions. Some of them are, are, you know, are trying to do jobs that they may not be qualified. So, you know, getting good contractors is it's always been a challenge. It's particularly tough now. And especially in markets like Houston, where, you know, you've got an additional demand from recovering from Harvey and things like that. So contractors, that's definitely a challenge. Getting good staff at the property level, finding good property managers and good maintenance guys, also very difficult. Uh, in fact, the the average amount of money that we budget for wages is up significantly in the last couple of years so that we can attract good good staff because the wrong staff, doesn't matter how good your deal is, if you bring the wrong people in to run it, you can forget it. It's just not going to happen. So, I mean, that's that's absolutely critical. And then, you know, financing, generally speaking, debt is pretty easy to get right now. But if you choose the, you still have to make sure you choose the right lender for your deal and for what you're trying to do, because otherwise they can pull out at the last minute, basically with no recourse to them and you're sitting there holding the bag. So you, you know, you've really, no matter what the market is, you've really got to make sure you've picked the right lender and you're working with them and communicating with them. And they can, they can definitely uh, give you some challenges. You know, what's so fascinating about this, Andrew, is that like the same struggles that you are going through trying to buy 100, 200 unit properties, the same struggle that I'm going through trying to buy, you know, and David's going through trying to buy and the newbie who's trying to get their first deal is struggling with like finding good people, finding good contractors, finding deals. It's all like, and then finding the right lender. I mean, those things are across the board. And so anyway, I I think that's important. I think you made up a really good point as well, where you mentioned you could buy an amazing deal. You could get a fantastic investment property. You do all the right work setting it up. You do all the work, you know, you stumbled across this fantastic opportunity and then you put the wrong person in charge of managing it. It was all for nothing. Like you can completely destroy an investment with the wrong people running it. And so I, I would encourage everyone to like, don't just look at the front side. I mean, that's why my wife and I wrote an entire book on property management because it's so important like to manage whether you're going to do it yourself or whether you're going to hire someone, it has to be done and it has to be done well. Uh, can I ask how are you finding, like how do you, when you go into a market, how are you finding contractors at this large scale? I mean, are you just opening up the yellow pages online or whatever? I don't know if they have yellow pages, but you know, are you, is that how you finding these like property managers and contractors or how do you find these people and how can our listeners also find people on maybe smaller deals? 
It's it's our primary method is referral based. So if I was a newbie going into a new market, I would do the exact same thing that I do today after being in a market for six years. And that is I'm buying an apartment complex or I'm buying a five unit or 200 unit doesn't matter. And I'm going to talk to the the broker that's selling me the deal. I'm going to talk to the property management company that's going to manage it or is managing it. And I'm going to ask them, and I'm actually going to talk to the lender too. I'm going to ask the lender. I'm going to take those three and I'm going to say, hey, I'm going to do, I want to do this, this, and this on this property. Who are the top two or three people that you would recommend to do that job? And get that list from each one of those three people. And ideally, the same name is going to pop up multiple times. Oh, I love that. Um, yeah. And then what I'm going to do is I'm going to weed that list down to two or three. I'm going to have them come out and bid the work and and then choose from there. And, you know, even then it it's not always going to work out perfect, but that's going to put the odds in your favor. You know, something I was thinking about when you were talking about finding a good manager and how important it is, it's kind of like putting all the work in to do the deal and find the deal and get the deal and then getting sloppy on the end is like, these parents who put tons of time and effort into their kids, like they feed them organic applesauce and they, <laughs> they, re, they, they put the headphones on the mom's stomach when she's pregnant and have them listen to Beethoven and they get into like the best school and they do all this work. And then they hire like a horrible nanny who has them watching like MTV and stuff and not reading any <laughs> books. Just these horrible habits that they then develop after you put in all that work. Like your property manager is your nanny. That's who's watching your property and making sure that it runs well. You did all this work and now you're passing the baton off to someone else and you want to make sure that that person who takes the baton is going to do a really good job with your baby just like like how you would. And that's kind of the way that I look at my property managers, you know, and I think that that's a really good point you're making. Can you tell us, Andrew, you've got this amazing system. You've got this mind that finds deals. I always tell Andrew to me, he's like, he's like the Navy SEAL sniper of real estate. He just hones in on a good deal and he just boom, one shot, one kill. And he, he brings it down. Tell us how you're funding these deals. Like even the best snipers, no good if they don't have any ammunition. So tell us like, how are you loading up so that you can go after these deals? Funding is a combination of uh, typically agency debt. And when I mean agency, I mean Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac. Uh, we try to stay away from CMBS because let me tell you, BS is in the name for a reason. It's that, I mean, oh, they're the worst. They're the worst. It's the worst loan process you'll ever go through in your life. So we stick with you know Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, or sometimes local or regional banks, especially if you're a newbie and you can form a good relationship with them. Local and regional banks can give you some great loans. Odds are it's going to be recourse, which means you know, you're personally guaranteeing it. But I had to do that to get started and I was okay with it. Um, you know, now I don't have recourse, but in the beginning I did. It was just part of starting the business. So funding is typically, you know, we're doing light to moderate renovations. So we're usually getting some kind of renovation loan, meaning the lender is going to give us 75% of the purchase price plus 75% of the renovation. And then that remaining 25% comes, uh, we're, we're syndicating it. So we're pooling investors together and you know, we'll, we'll write up a, a pro forma and put together a package and then we'll send that to our investor list and say, Hey, here's the deal. Here's the, here's the performa, Here's the business plan. Here's all the analysis that we just, you know, we just talked about a minute ago. And say, if you're interested, let us know and we can discuss further. And so the equity comes from investors. Some of it comes from us as the sponsors. And then uh, we close on the deal and get to work. Okay. That makes a lot of sense. I can tell everybody I personally have invested with Andrew on three of his different deals. And every single time he under promises and over delivers, it's one of the reasons that I like working with Andrew so much is he's someone who's going to tell you, Hey, this is probably what we're going to do. And then he goes out and way, way beats the expectations that he set for himself. 
really, really good at what he does. Can you share with us really quickly a couple pieces of advice for how we can develop relationships with these lenders that give us deals like this or these brokers that have the deals and we want them bringing them to us first? I know that that's one of your superpowers is you're really, really good at finding people who are going to bring in the deal first. Can you give us some advice for people starting off how they can do the same? You know, one of the things is, is it, there's other factors, but if you really want to boil it down, people work with people that they like to work with. So if you want to make the most simplest thing is be likable. And that doesn't mean you have to turn yourself into Oprah and give away free cars and all this stuff. <laughs> just, you get just, a car. Just, yeah. <laughs> just, uh, although that probably would make you pretty popular with the brokers if you sent them yeah, a uh, Tesla every time you got a deal. But that might be, that's a little more beyond my budget. I don't know about you guys, but so, you know, just, just think about what, you know, the people that you like to work with, why is that, right? Well, it's, they smile when they talk to you. When, they, when you're talking, they actively listen. They do things like if they say they're going to call you back on Tuesday with a yes or no, they call you back on Tuesday with a yes or no. They don't just disappear and then on Friday, oh, yeah, sorry, I forgot about that. They are professional in all, in all regards. They are trustworthy with the small things. And then that builds trust and shows that they're trustworthy with the big things. And so, you know, that gets back to like if, if a broker sends you a deal and yeah, in the beginning, they're just going to send you whatever because they're they're trying to see if you're real or not. Right. And so they send you a deal. And what you, what that means is you analyze it quickly and then immediately call them back. My goal is within 24 hours. My goal is to respond to everybody within 24 hours. And I'll call them back and say, hey. Thanks for sending this. I looked at it. Here's why it's not a good fit because of this, 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 and this. Uh, who else maybe are you talking to that could be a good fit? Show that you're you're responsive, you're reliable, that you have logical reasons for for the answers that you're giving. And then and then of course, and it's also some of the stuff that you know you hear various places about, you know, ask about the kids and form relationships. And and that's all true. But most people, especially these days, are really, really busy. And in, in small talk, just for the sake of small talk, people can generally tell that that's what's going on. So the key is to just be friendly, uh, you know, intelligent, meaning you know the language that you're trying to talk and responsive. If you say you're going to do something, do it. If you said you're going to call on Tuesday and for some reason you absolutely can't, you text them and say, hey, wait, sorry, I wasn't able to do that. I'll get back to you on Wednesday. At least they know they heard from you. So those it's just those those little things being being personal and also just being authentic. Just be yourself. You know, everyone else is taken. So be yourself. Anyway. I mean, that's all you really can do anyways. Um, and, and just, again, just think about, okay, what, you know, the people that I like, what traits do they have and, and do that yourself? Is that going to be the name of your first book? Everyone else is taken. So just be yourself. <laughs> there you go. Hold on. Let me write that down. <laughs> Actually, uh, you know what? Somebody, I'm, I'm pretty sure somebody else said that at some point. Yeah, I think it was, it was Dr. Seuss probably. <laughs> well, you know, I read a lot of Dr. Seuss these days with a four-year-old <laughs> kid. Girl, so. <laughs> I know. I was going to say Abe Lincoln because like everything can be uh, you know, attributed to Abe Lincoln. Um, I'm That's assuming everything lies. Clearly. Yeah. All right. So let me ask you a couple of questions, Andrew. How many units do you have under management now? Uh, about 1,200 because we sold 600 units. Okay. So you've accumulated a total of 1,800 over your career. You're extremely successful what you do. Obviously, anyone that listens to you can tell you're the real deal. You're not BSing us here. Tell me, in your opinion, was it more important that you learned the numbers and the analysis and the tactical side of real estate, or was your ability to build relationships more instrumental to your success so far? I'm going to say the relationships by a hair, because 
as the head of my business or the head of your business, you are the rainmaker. And without the relationships, the rain, it's not going to happen. Um, and that, and the reason I, I hesitate to say it is because good analysis is absolutely critical. You, you won't survive without that. However, good analysis can be outsourced. You can hire a really good analyst to help you do that part, but you can have 18 fantastic analysts working for you. But if you can't develop the relationships to get the deal and to have the pipeline of, of deals coming in and to get good contractors and get good managers and to inspire your property managers to work well, then it just doesn't matter. So I would say the relationships are probably more, more key. That's what I thought you were going to say. And the reason I asked you is that you are the best analyzer of deals that I know bar none, right? Like I, I think I'm good. And then you show up and I'm like, oh my gosh, I feel like this <laughs> puny guy at the gym standing next to Arnold Schwarzenegger in his prime. And even you are admitting that the relationships are more important. In, in my opinion, analysis matters because you need to know it's a good deal. You need to recognize it's a good deal, but it's, there's people that could tell you that just like what you said, there's people you can pay to analyze deals that will tell you, or just friends you could have, which coincidentally you can build with relationships, but it's more for your own confidence and your own self, like the ease of, okay, I know this is a good deal. I've analyzed it. It doesn't actually build your wealth. Finding the deal is what's going to build your wealth. Building the relationships with people that will bring you the deals and build your wealth. The analyzing is only important. So, you know, should I move forward or not? And like you said, you can outsource that. If you really want to be wealthy, if you want to be successful, you've got to learn how to build your relationships with people. It's so much more important than just becoming good at understanding real estate. I've had people come to my classes or seminars I'm teaching or real estate meetups, and they're, they know more about real estate than I do. I'm amazed when I listen to some of them talk. Like They've read every single book. They know every single thing that there is to know, and they're worth like negative money. They, they just, they're in debt because they don't know how to do anything with that information that they have. Finding the people that can kind of get you started is so much more important. And I just wanted to point that out because you're the guy who knows everything about real estate and you're still saying that building the relationships has been more important for you. And I just, I think that's really important for people to understand that is that being likable will actually make you money as crazy as that sounds, you know, like yeah, yeah. when a broker finds a deal and his first thought is, oh, Andrew's going to love this. I can't wait to call him. You cannot buy that kind of a reaction from someone, you know, that's so, so important to get. Is there anything else you can share, Andrew, with our listeners of like things that you think a newbie should start working on now to put themselves in a position where they can be more successful in their future? You know, some of the things we just talked about, but then don't wait until you have all the pieces together, right? You, you just got it. You have to start taking steps. David Osborne, you guys, you, we, you know, both you know, and, and I think you've had on the podcast, yeah. one of the statements he says I really like is don't wait to buy real estate, buy real estate and wait, right? And so one of the first thing you can do is number one, you know, decide what are you going to buy? Are you, are you, are you looking for a 10 unit or are you looking for a hundred unit, right? Are you looking for the high rise? You're looking for the garden style, pick your niche, figure out what that is. And while you're building your team and team is, you know, your agents, your, your lender, property management, uh, adding investors, all of those things, while you're doing that, get out and start looking at deals. The best way to spot a great deal is to look at 99 bad ones. And so the minute it pops in, you know, wait, oh, something tells me this is good. I need to drop what I'm doing and look at it. I so you that. know, that's really what I would do. Yeah, man. I want like, I, I want everyone to hear that again. Like the best way to find a good deal is look at 99 bad ones. Like that is so good for any, any range, whether you're looking to first deal or a hundred unit property. 
And, and you know what, Brandon, you asked me before, what are some of the things I struggle with? That's something I struggle with is when I'm looking at bad deal number 95, the little voice in my head going, Jesus is a waste of time. You know, this I'm, I'm, you know, odds are this deal is not going to work out. This is going to be, I'm going to waste an hour doing, looking at this or whatever. And I have to remind myself, no, it isn't. Because if I don't look at deal 95, I might miss deal 96. That is the good deal. And that bad deal number 95 that I'm looking at, that gives me a a reason to call that broker back, have a, have a live discussion, not via email, and continue to build that relationship. So that's how you have to look at it. And it's something I struggle with. I'm like, geez, I'm looking at a hundred deals just to find one. You know? Yeah. 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 I would, I would venture to guess that the reason you came up with all these criteria that you have and the things you use is because looking at all these bad deals and then analyzing, well, what is it that made it a bad deal helped you to realize what you want in a good deal. Right. So you, you exactly. know, this information that's now made you successful and you didn't learn this from the few good deals you did. You learned this from the thousands of bad deals that you looked at that taught you what you want to avoid. And there's value in like learning stuff. That's what I'm always telling people. It's not just buying a deal and making money, going through it. A hundred bad deals can teach you so much about real estate that that's going to make you millions of dollars in your future. Well said. Well said. All right, well, let me go ahead and shift gears here and head over to the world famous Fire Round. Fire Round. It's time for the Fire Round. We're always looking for ways to improve, searching for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for better is by matching with quality candidates. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of the show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BiggerPockets. Just go to Indeed.com slash BiggerPockets right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Indeed.com slash BiggerPockets. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you need to buy or sell, or you're just obsessed with looking at homes for sale, Redfin's got you covered. Redfin updates their listings every two minutes to help you see new homes first. And they give you personalized recommendations based on the homes you like, so you can find a home that's just right for you, whether that's a cabin, a craftsman, or a castle. With the top-rated Redfin app, you can favorite homes, share listings with others, and schedule tours even on the same day with a local Redfin agent who can help guide you through the whole home buying process. And if you're looking to sell, Redfin agents have the experience to help you get the best price possible for your home. That's because they sell twice as many homes as other agents. With a listing fee as low as 1%, Redfin's fees are half of what others often charge, which means you'll have more money to put towards what matters most to you, like your next home. In fact, last year, Redfin saved home sellers $127 million. No matter where you are in your real estate journey, Redfin can help. Download the Redfin app to get started today. Want to dive deep into commercial real estate, entrepreneurship, leadership, and the economy? Tune into the Walker webcast hosted by the CEO of Walker & Dunlop, one of the largest commercial real estate finance and advisory services firms in the nation. 
As an unparalleled leader in commercial real estate, CEO Willie Walker frequently appears as an expert on major platforms like CNBC and the New York Times. He's even been on the Bigger Pockets podcast network too. On the Walker webcast, you'll hear from guests like A-Rod, renowned economist Dr. Peter Linneman, and experts from Walker and Dunlop's capital markets, research, and investment sales groups. So fire up the Walker webcast on your favorite podcast app or join live on Wednesdays to see Willie interact with his guests. Plus, you can always catch the replay on demand afterward. Stay ahead of the curve with insights for life from the Walker webcast. Learn more and subscribe to the Walker webcast at walkerdunlop.com slash pockets. And be sure to follow Walker and Dunlop on all your favorite social media channels too. That's walkerdunlop.com slash pockets. All right, let's get to the fire round questions. These come direct from the Bigger Pockets forums, and we're going to fire them right at you, Andrew. See what you got to say. Number one, oh, I like this question. Help, I've got a million dollars to invest. I'm brand new. What do I do? That's How a really good problem that? to have. Brand but... new. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, that's a great <laughs> problem. <to have. laughs> so, yeah, they must have stumbled across a million bucks or something. What, what do they do? Well, the first thing is ask yourself, do you want to buy your own property or hand it over to somebody else to invest for you? So are you looking to participate in somebody else's deal or are you, list, are you looking to go get your own? Either way, I would say find a market you want to be in, figure out what kind of property do you want to be invested in and go look in those areas. So, you know, you also I would recommend don't necessarily, if, especially if you're just getting started, don't take that million bucks and throw it into one deal. You know, maybe break it into a couple of chunks of 50 or 100 and go invest as a silent partner or limited partner with somebody else, learn the ropes, see what they're doing, and then go and take your seven hundred, eight hundred thousand dollars that's left and go buy your own deal. Or, you know, with a million dollars, you might be able to approach somebody who's got a smaller deal and say, look, I'll be money, you be operations, let's do this together. Yeah. And as general partners, right? So you still have control, you you're still participating in the deal. And then you can and you can learn a lot. And then and, you know, and, and, you know, learn from others' mistakes, grow your business much quicker. And then that's assuming you want to be active. If you're just looking to be passive, then split it up into 10 or 15 pieces and invest with good operators. So depends on what you want to do. What cool. I love about that is every single hypothetical example you gave involved a way that you could learn faster. It wasn't just how do I make, how do I get the highest ROI in my money possible? And I'm done because you know that learning is what's going to make them wealthy in the future. So that was an awesome answer. Good job. Next question. I'm just getting started with rental properties. Should I get a 30 year or a 15 year mortgage? Uh, I, you know, there, there, okay. My, my, my simple answer would be get the 30 year. And here's why. Um, the reason people like to get the 15 year is for a slightly lower interest rate and it pays off faster. So if you're doing like what Brandon did and is buying it as basically a college fund, then a 15 year, that totally makes sense. And I agree a hundred percent with that strategy. But in general, I would say go with the 30 year because you always have the option to pay it down faster if you want to. So you can get a 30 year loan and then Put, you know, calculate your own 15-year amortization table and pay pay it down 15 years if you want to. But if cash flow gets tight at some point in the future, you're going to want to have the option of that lower 30-year payment versus the uh, mandatory higher 15-year payment. So, you know, those are that. So I would lean towards 30-year. That's why, again, there's exceptions, but in general, 30 years safer. 
All right. Next question. Should I go solo or go with a big multifamily investor? Now, let me expand before I let you answer. Basically, the guy has got some money, wants to get into real estate. It's kind of like the question we asked a minute ago, but he's basically wondering, like, when I look around, because he's got a similar problem that I do. I mean, I analyzed a deal yesterday. This is not my question, but it actually perfectly goes with it. I analyzed this deal yesterday. And at the end of the day, like if I bought this for like 200 grand less than what they were asking, they're asking a million. I, I ran the numbers. And even if I got it for 800 grand, it's like a 15% return, which is not bad. Like if I, you know, a- average annual return is like 15%. But I'm like, I look at some syndicators and I see their IRR projections and it's like 15%. And I'm like, would I, should I really throw my money into my own deal just to make 15% when I could do it with a syndicator? And obviously you are a syndicator. So like, I know you might be biased towards giving to syndicators, <laughs> but like, how does somebody make up that decision? And like, is, is there a percentage that they should go with one versus another, a certain profit? How does somebody know that? I would go back to why are you investing in the first place? If you're just looking to create truly passive income, then I'd say a syndicator is the way to go. If you're looking to learn as, as you know, kind of learn from participating and observing, then probably syndicator. If you want to really start your own business and jump in now, then it's take that money and go partner with somebody. Unless you have have some experience and let's say, you know, you've owned some rentals, maybe a fourplex or whatever. And now you say, okay, I'm going to take my money and I can, I can go to a, I can go to a 10 unit and you're comfortable in, in, you know, and I shouldn't say comfortable because you want to be a little uncomfortable because if you're not a little uncomfortable, you're not growing. But so if you can, if you can take that money and just go to a 10 unit and you feel like that's the next step, then go do it yourself and, you know, hire a mentor. You know, there's other ways to, you don't, you don't always have to partner someone. You can hire a mentor as well. So those are those are kind of the different options that that I would say are available. That's great. Very nice. Very nice. Okay, this is a two-part question. I just got a 30-unit apartment offer accepted. Now here nice. comes the fun or hard work part. I have a few questions regarding physical inspections during due diligence that I'd appreciate some input. Number one, should I just walk each unit myself and possibly bring one of the contractors who worked with me before? Or is it worth it to hire professional inspectors to inspect all the units or a selection of units? What's the common practice for a 30-unit complex? And then I'll let you answer that and then I'll answer. I'll ask the second part. All right. So there's a couple of pieces of that. Number one, absolutely walk every single unit. So, you know, the biggest property we ever purchased was 348 units. And yes, we walked every (laughs) single unit because I can guarantee you the five units you don't go into, those are the ones that are the meth lab, the pot house, and the mold infested ones, you know, or this, or the lady that has 53 squirrels in a cage, you know I mean? It's just, it, it, that's the stuff. Those are going to be the units that you don't go into. Guaranteed. The ones that the property manager conveniently lost the key for. Yeah. Oh, it's always that. Oh, yeah. the key there was like four. I, I have still not been through with my Ohio apartment. <laughs> I have not been in those four because they could not find a key. The person wasn't home and we were closing. I'll bet, I'll bet, you, I'll bet you dinner somewhere that one of those is a hoarder unit. Yeah, probably. Um, <laughs> so, so always now, I did. I personally walk 348 units. No, we, I brought in a team and we split into groups and we have a spreadsheet that now that spreadsheet synced across laptops. So as they fill it in, it all loads at the same time, but all you need, you can print out a piece of paper from Excel, right? And 30 unit and, and, and you can go into teams. Now, if I was doing a 30 unit and it was my first one, yes, I would personally walk all 30 units because I want to, I want to see them. I want to feel them. And when I bought my first 92 unit, I did personally walk it. As far as inspectors versus contractors, I have found 
that home inspectors tend to get a little lost in the weeds if you put them onto an apartment complex. And I'll get reports that are like, you know, 15 pictures of, of, of outlets that, you know, oh, this, the, the plate's crooked or, you know, the little stuff that, yeah, yeah we're, I mean, we're going to look at it anyway. So what I do is I walk it with three, three or more sets of contractors. And when I mean three, I mean, if I'm, if I'm concerned about the roofs, I'll have two or three roofers. If I'm going to upgrade the interiors, I'll have three guys that are going to upgrade the interiors. So I have three contractors looking at it with us. And then they're going to not. So what that's going to do is, number one, I've got three sets of eyes looking for problems that I might miss and I will miss them. So that's why you get, you know, that's why I bring in other people that are experts at that thing. And then when I get their proposals in, though, all you can combine two or three sets of proposals, that's going to give you a pretty thorough picture of what you're looking at. And more importantly, not just what's wrong, but how much it's going to cost you to fix it. You want that data. You want to know that cost before you go hard on your deposit and you can't get it back. So that's how we do it. Love it. Wow. All right. Well, you kind of answered the next part, which was besides a general walkthrough of each unit, I think I'll need to bring on specialists to check out the big items like the roof, the AC, and the water heaters. Should that actually be done? And your answer was yes. Absolutely. So if, if we, you know, we go under contract, let's say we have a 30-day due diligence. I I try to be on site with our full team, meaning, you know, lease audit, contractors, everything within five to seven days so that we can get all that information before we're going hard. It's fantastic. Fantastic. All right. Well, that's the end of the fire round. Now, before we get out of here today, let's get to our world famous. Famous four. All right. But before we get to the famous four questions, let's hear from Mindy Jensen to see what's going on on the Bigger Pockets Money podcast this week. Thanks for asking, Brandon. Tony Gaydon grew up in a lower middle class household where money and finances were not discussed. He sought comfort in food, eventually reaching 476 pounds and drowning in debt. Tony shares his weight loss journey and how he parlayed the lessons learned into successful debt reduction and finally starting to invest. Tony currently works at his dream job with no plans to quit, but uses investments to protect himself should his circumstances change. All right, Brandon, now it's back to the famous four. All right. Thank you, Mindy. Now, the famous four, these are the same four questions we ask every guest every week. And we've, I know we've asked you before, Andrew, because you were on the show before, uh, but let's see if they've changed it all. Do you have a current favorite real estate book? You know what? I, uh, I do. I actually just wrote my uh, first book on multifamily. It's about 200 pages. They're all blank. And in the middle, <laughs> it says, go read David Green's book on long distance real estate investing and then apply the same principles to apartments because it's basically the same thing. And then once you finish his book, go read Dave Lindahl's on emerging markets and multifamily millions, put those three together and you'll have what you need to get started. Ooh, good, good suggestions. I, I, I second all of them. And that's like the best answer in bigger pockets podcast history to that. first question. <laughs> of the so good to put that on a plaque and let's have it like immortalized in BP headquarters somewhere. <laughs> I've got, I've got a challenge for everybody listening right now. If you can find the connection between today's guest and my book, because there is one other than what he just said on the podcast, email me, let me know. And I will send a prize to whoever gets it first. Uh, that's all I'm going to say. I'm going to let you guys go on the wild goose hunt. All right. Uh, nope, no pressure after this, Andrew, but now you have to do just as good on the second question that you did on Brandon's. What is your favorite business book? How to Win Friends and Influence People. It's an old one. You know, I think it was written in the 30s, but technology changes, culture changes, but human nature does not change. It's been the same for as long as we've been around. And that book 
I mean, everything we do, you know, obviously we do analysis, but everything we do is relationship related from the seller to the contractor, to the manager, to the broker, everything. And that book is probably, you know, the, the, what's in there is to me the most important thing in business. Very that's good. Fantastic. Very yeah, nice. That's one of those books I should reread every year because it's always good to know. Like, I do. Yeah. I do. Yeah. Nice. All right. Next one. All right. Other than making and selling popcorn in the kitchen with your wife, can you tell us some of your other hobbies that you have? Yeah. So I, I, my couple of my hobbies are trying not to get outwitted by my uh, four and six year old boys. And then I do have a very loving and understanding wife who lets me go surfing and, and backcountry skiing fairly frequently. I'm really just a, a wannabe athlete trapped in a nerd's body. So I'm, I'm not necessarily <laughs> an expert at those things, but I love doing them and they, they invigorate me. So a lot of people don't know this, but me and Andrew actually went out surfing together down in, uh, was it San Diego or somewhere north of San yeah, Diego? Yeah, San Onofre, which we should do that again, although you're going to be adapted to that warm Hawaii water. I so know, I know. you got to come out to Hawaii and come do it. Like, yeah, but me and Andrew went surfing and I learned very quickly that I was terrible at surfing and he was very good at surfing. That was my realization there. So next question. Uh, what do you believe sets apart successful real estate investors from all those who give up, fail, or never get started? You know, relentless persistence. And I, I believe that's what I said last time. And then I'm going to persist and say that's still true. You know, the, the, the question kind of answers itself, right? It's people who give up, don't get started or quit. In order to not do those three things, you have to persist and keep going and, and be relentless, especially in this market. I mean, it, it is it is tough to find deals. It can get very discouraging. Unfortunately, as a newbie, it is harder than someone who's been in the business for 10 years. But that doesn't mean it can't be done. That doesn't mean it's not worth doing. So so relentless persistence, not letting setbacks, you know, get it, make you quit, not letting fear of mistakes make you quit. You're going to make mistakes. It's, it's human nature. Uh, I mean, look at, uh, you know, Chernobyl or the Hindenburg or, or almost any Nicolas Cage movie. Mistakes happen. The key is, <laughs> do, you, do, do you learn from those mistakes and make systems to not repeat them? That's what, that's, that's the key. So, so, you know, you make a mistake, what? something bad happens. <laughs> per, 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 Sorry, persist I'm stuck, through I'm stuck and on Nick keep, Cage. And keep going. Well, yeah, he may not have learned, but anyway, um, it, that yeah, relentless persistence. I like it much, much like Ben Affleck as Batman. Any mistake can be overcome with the right <laughs> attitude. Exactly. <laughs> All right, Andrew. I knew this was going to be an awesome podcast. You did not let me down. You've done great. Thank you very much. Last question: Where can people find out more about you? Sure. Our, you know, our bigger pockets, of course. Uh, I love, I love being on bigger pockets. I need to be on there more. And of course, LinkedIn, our website, you can just, you can just Google vantage point acquisitions, but it's vpacq.com. If you actually want to start like an email conversation or something like that, probably the best way is to just go ahead and submit it on the website. Cause then that will come to my email inbox and um, I will get back to you. Uh, but of course, yeah, connect on bigger pockets and LinkedIn as well. Super cool. All right, Mr. Andrew Cushman, thank you so much. This was fantastic. This has been like a year in the making since we were out there on the wave surfing. We talked about doing this. Uh, so uh, I'm glad we finally got to pull it off. So thank you. Likewise. Good talking to you guys. Thanks, buddy. All right. And that was our show with Andrew Cushman. That was a lot of fun. I, I haven't laughed that hard at a podcast in a while. 
Andrew is a fun guy and also very, very smart. I mean, he's like, if you're going to hang out with anyone and talk real estate, I want it to be Andrew. Yeah, Andrew. Uh, so um, David and I, and people have probably heard us talking about this before, but both David and I are in a, in a club called Go Abundance. I don't know, it's club weird. We're in like a group of people called Go Abundance, and Andrew is in there as well. And that's where uh, we get together a couple times a year, uh, hang out, and I learn a lot from Andrew, and I really, really like hanging out with him. Yeah, every time I spend time with him, I'm like inspired to go do more stuff because he's just crushing it. Uh, even in today's market, again, we talked about that, right? Everyone's like, oh, there's no good deals. You know, he's making them happen. So can you. But not you, David. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I'll just live vicariously through your deals and Andrew's deals. <laughs> nah, you're doing you're doing well. I'm excited for your refis to get done. I'm excited for you to have a bunch of cash from all those Burr refinances so you can go out and repeat the process again. Uh, maybe we get you into some larger multifamilies this time. You ready? That's exactly what I'm thinking. Oh, You're good. on the same wavelength. All right. Well, good. Maybe we'll turn ourselves into syndicators at some point. We can be like Andrew and we'll start raising big money and, you know, we'll be, uh, we'll be, we'll be the next Andrew Cushman. Life Ooh. goals. Hashtag life yes. goals. Hashtag life goals. There you go. <laughs> All right. So thank you guys for listening. Make sure you guys listen after the music here. We're going to, uh, we recorded a quick random six, just random questions from Andrew. I think we might've only done five questions though. Maybe we did seven. I don't know. Anyway. It's good. It's funny. Enjoy it. And make sure if you guys are enjoying today's show, make sure you share it with somebody. Go to your Facebook or whatever, Twitter, and share this episode with somebody who might be interested in multifamily properties. Uh, or just put it on your Facebook page because you never know who is friends and family with you that it's like, oh, that person's into real estate. So am I. Maybe we could work together. Maybe I can give them money. Maybe I can partner with them, whatever. You never know until you start sharing real estate related content. So uh, this is a good episode to share it. You can view the show notes by going to biggerpockets.com slash show 279. So that's the URL you can share on your Facebook, biggerpockets.com slash show 279. All right, guys, let's get out of here. For biggerpockets.com, I'm Brandon here with my co-host, David Throw Me a Rope Green. Signing off. You're listening to Bigger Pockets Radio, simplifying real estate for investors large and small. If you're here looking to learn about real estate investing without all the hype, you're in the right place. Be sure to join the millions of others who have benefited from biggerpockets.com, your home for real estate investing online. It's time for it's time for it's time for the random six. All right, we have not done this in a little while, but we're gonna jump in here and do the world famous random six. I don't I don't know. I don't remember. Do we have a sound effect for that? I think we did. Anyway, these are completely unrelated to real estate questions that uh, we're gonna ask Andrew here. Just to get to know him a little better. Number one, Andrew, could you survive in the wilderness for an entire month? I believe I could, yeah, actually. All right. I, I bet you could. I could see that. Like, let me, let me, let me follow up with that. What one tool would you need to have with you? Like other than the clothes on your body, what one tool would you bring with you to survive for a month in the woods? Um, some kind of multi-tool that has a, uh, at least that has a flint striker on it so I can get fire started too. All right. Good answer. That's such a practical answer. All right. <laughs> hey, I got to survive animal. for a month. Come on. <laughs> what animal best represents your personality? Is a liger count? No. Um, <laughs> yeah. Red for its skills and what is it? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, I, I like the dolphins because they're they're intelligent. They're they're graceful. They're strong. They love the ocean. They're playful. You know, I don't know if I'm quite theirs, but I guess I could maybe aspire to be a dolphin. Is that, is that how it works? Good answer. 
I like that. It's funny you said Liger and Dolphin because last week Brandon and I were at like an aquatic park and they had these dolphins that were mixed with a false killer whale. It was like this hybrid souped up dolphin that was huge. And it made me think of Ligers, which are actually like humongous and awkward animals. And we had a conversation. Both of those. Yeah, we talked about this. That's so cool that that's what she said, (laughs) giving me major deja vu. All right. what, What behavior makes you think a person is creepy? Well, I mean, a a limp, clammy handshake is never a good start. <laughs> I think that every time I shake David Green's hand, it's just it's awkward every time. <laughs> That's why they call me David the Clam Green. Uh, well, well, I'm going to leave that one right where it is. Um, <laughs> You know, that that's never a good start. Uh, shifty eyes. Um, you know, I had, a, I had a guy come up to me at a gas station in the desert at 11 o'clock at night wearing a hoodie and sunglasses and a, and a partially concealed backpack and asked me for a ride. I'm like, mm, I'm not so sure. Kind of shady. So there you go. You didn't do it. Where's your sense of adventure? Uh, Come on, Mr. Be in the woods for a month. You know, I offered to call him a ride and and, and pay for it. Um, he didn't want that for some reason. So, you know, I don't know. He might have murdered you. don't you. sound like a playful dolphin with that answer. <laughs> <laughs> I was in the desert. That's not my element. <laughs> know your niche. Dolphins do not operate exactly. in the desert. Dolphins okay. do the desert. Which musical artist is greatly overrated? And I have one I'm really hoping you'll say, and Brandon knows it, but I'm not going to say what that is. Oh, that's asking for enemies. Uh, <laughs> musical artist that, well, I guess we can go with the easy one and say Kanye. Ooh. Right. That's a good answer. But Kanye listens to our well, show. I, I know he, he obviously does. So he's going to be upset. Actually, you know, I should take that back. He, he's okay. He does have musical talent. I can say that. It's just obviously the personality is a little different. Yeah. I can, you know, who, can I, can I change it and say who I think is dramatically underrated? Sure. Okay. Yes. Weird Al Yankovic. That guy is brilliant. I love Weird Al. The Night Santa First Went time. Crazy is still one of my favorite songs of all time. Yeah. What's he's, your favorite, he's Andrew? Uh, well, Amish Paradise still. Oh that's yeah. Good that's a good one. In that's high school, we made a music one. video to the Night Santa Went Crazy. I should find that and put it on YouTube. It was good. <laughs> you should. I, that <laughs> Okay, if anyone is still listening, anyway, if anyone is still listening and you want to hear Brandon and I make a parody music video like Weird Al, put a (laughs) comment in the show, the show notes and let us know on the Web page that you would like to see that. And we will put something together and relate it to real estate for you. I think that could be funny. I don't think that would be funny at all. (laughs) All right. Next question, David. Okay, what's something that can't be found or bought on the Internet? Real love. Oh, God, that was so fast, too. You're so good, Andrew. That was really good. (laughs) Let's see if you can be just as fast here. I mean, according to my spam folder, other kinds can be purchased very easily, but (laughs) that's not what we're looking for. (laughs) I want to see you respond super fast to this one, too. Like, don't think about it. What's the weirdest thing that's ever happened to you in a car? (laughs) (laughs) Uh... (laughs) I, I, it <laughs> happened to me. Uh, let's see. Um, I shifty eye McGee asking you for a ride. Yeah, well, yeah, 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 that one, that one, that, that one certainly ranks pretty, pretty high. Um, maybe some things I've, I've seen driving through parts of LA, uh, you know, <laughs> um, having people throw up in the car. And, um, so, uh, yeah, that's never fun. 
All right. We'll, we'll These take are those. really hard questions. They are the hard questions. Yeah, that one, I, I, I do. There's a true story. I'm using it by myself in the car. There's a true story. My wife, went, when she was on her uh, bachelorette party back when we got married, you know, whatever, 10 years ago, she, I don't know, they were, her and her girlfriends were driving around and they were at a stoplight. And all of a sudden, like a hundred, I don't want to be like insensitive, I, like little people, like I'm not sure what the correct terminology is, but like little people, right? Cross the road, all holding hands, skipping and singing in front of her car. Like, I don't know Did what they, that like. Is that a convention or do people get together like just skipping and holding hands running down the street? I don't know. But that that's a I love that story. I wish I was there. Flash mob. Just, yeah. Flash mob. Basically a flash mob of little people. Anyway. All right. <laughs> was that number five or six? I lost count. I think we've got enough. <laughs> <That's good. laughs> all right. Let's get out of here. Thank you, Andrew. This is fun. All right, take care, guys. Bye. There's a reason small multifamily investing is so popular in the Bigger Pockets community. With just a 3.5% down payment, you can own up to four different units. Think about it. If you house hack and live in one of the units, you still have three different groups of tenants helping you pay down your mortgage every month, four kitchens and bathrooms you could renovate to increase your property value, four different Airbnbs, medium-term rentals, or other rental strategies that you can try in one property, all in just one transaction. Of course, the question is, where do you find a small multifamily property that you can actually afford? Which market and which deals are best for you? Once you close, how do you manage it, optimize it, keep scaling, and living your life without being tied down to four leaky toilets or four fussy tenants? All great questions, my friends. All to be answered in the upcoming small multifamily bootcamp with Chris Lopez and Leica Devatha. So if you're serious about growing your portfolio with this highly efficient strategy, head to biggerpockets.com slash four, F-O-U-R. Today, and join us in the small multifamily bootcamp. See you there. The content of this podcast is for informational purposes only. Past performance is not indicative of future results, and all hosts and participant opinions are their own. Investment in any asset, real estate included, involves risk. Use your best judgment and consult with qualified advisors before investing. Only risk capital you can afford to lose. BiggerPockets LLC disclaims all liability for direct, indirect, consequential, or other damages arising from reliance upon information presented in this podcast.